having created over the previous two years the energy, the enthusiasm, the whole aura of excitement about creating this new entity. And I went home that day and, you know, I remember standing in the shower trying to wash away that feeling of, I just did the worst thing ever. That's Rob Leslie, a World Economic Forum technology pioneer for his work on the Zero Knowledge Proof Protocol, has spoken at Davos on cybersecurity, digital identity, and other technology issues affecting the world's economies. Rob has a successful track record of establishing and growing businesses to considerable scale, including Kicker, which is now listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, and PTS Japan, which he sold having achieved a $33 million valuation at exit within five years. In 2013, he founded Sidichi, which utilizes blockchain, AI, and advanced cryptographic technologies to address challenges around digital identity, KYC, and AML monitoring. This episode is about problem solving for the future. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host, and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. And today I have with me a good pal now, I have to say, that I've known for about 13 years, and his name is Rob Leslie. And he has been the co-founder of three tech companies in the last few years, since I've known him anyway. And I've always had these great conversations with Rob, and we poke around at ideas and discuss stuff and think about things like brand and technology. But always invariably, the conversation comes around to this idea of trust, And it's a really big thing for Rob. And it's also a really big thing for all of us in this age that we're living in now. And the businesses that he's been involved with all around have this theme at their center. And so I'd like him to share that with us today. So welcome, Rob. Thanks, Fanola. Good to be here. here. So I would like to maybe start at the beginning because we've had loads of conversations like this over the years, but your journey started, I suppose, in Japan. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it did. I mean, I was a product of the 80s um, and uh, I went to live and work in Japan uh, immediately after I graduated, actually. Um, You know, most of the younger generation today wouldn't understand what uh, unemployment at, at 18% was like or interest rates at 16, 17, 18%. But those of us who've got white hair know exactly (laughs) um, what that means. And when I graduated, that's what Ireland was like. Um, It was almost impossible to get a job. There was a huge um, uh, stream of very qualified people leaving the country to go and work all over the world. you know, we had Irish government agencies actually exporting graduates uh, to to other countries, um, and I was one of those people. Um, I graduated, went straight to to work in Japan. Um, worked for a number of Japanese companies. Worked for uh, Dell uh, Computer at one stage. Um, 
very enjoyable job, I have to say. Um, and then had my own business in Japan, uh, which which was acquired uh, in 2000 um, at the height of the, the dot-com um, boom. Um, there was nothing um, brilliant in terms of, you know, we read the market or anything. It was serendipity. It was, there was a buyer. It happened to be in the right place at the right time. The deal got done and, and you know, Six months later, it would have been a completely different kettle of fish. Um, all of the the carnage of dot com was uh, strewn on the battlefield, and we would have been one of those had we not been acquired at the time. So, um, you know, be in the right place at the right time is one of the key things. Um, but you're I'm, always an early know. mover, though. Yeah, I suppose. You know, every entrepreneur needs to keep an eye on what's happening. Um, you know, the, part of the trick really is trying to move to where the the ball is going or where the puck is going um, and be there when it arrives. Um, but you don't want to be there too early um, because you'll be standing there waiting, um, you know, for, for a good period of time if you misread it. Mm. Um, but trying to, I suppose, keep an eye on what's happening um, is, is really important. Um, you know, and I'm, looking at what's happening in the world now and I'm going, my goodness, this, you know, it's not good uh, yeah. overall, just in terms of the macroeconomic situation. Um, and what does that mean in terms of uh, impact on your business and where it's going to grow and the markets that you want to play in and the products that you're creating? Um, and it will have an impact on, on, on those things. So, you know, keeping a close eye on that or a reasonably close eye on it, not, not, you don't need to get. But not every entrepreneur thinks like that. I mean, that seems to be a cornerstone of definitely tech companies for obvious reasons. Uh, like I remember when I started out trying to convince people to do market research to understand what's happening globally. Now, obviously, things have moved on, so the world is definitely smaller, so people are looking. But most entrepreneurs come with passion, with purpose. But you seem to have done that and aligned it with what does the market need? You're doing both. <clears throat> I try to. Yeah. Okay. I, I wouldn't profess for a second to uh, suggest that you know we've nailed it and we've figured that out. Uh, it's a it's it's a moving feast. Uh, it, it doesn't stay static. As soon as you think you've got it, mm. it's gone, um, and you have to chase after it. Um, and you know, one of the things that I've done over the years is, you know, we've entered a lot of awards um, and, and competitions. Um, they're not really for the honor and glory of winning. If you feature, what it tells you is what you're doing is relevant. Um, and because you wouldn't feature if people didn't think what you were doing was important to them. So, you know, every year uh, I'll enter one or two award uh, competitions. It only takes, you know, maybe an hour or two to to submit an application. There's a bit of work that you've got to do, obviously, in terms of presentations and things along the way. But if you get to, you know, feature in a final, and you know, if you're lucky enough to, you know, be in the in the winners enclosure, uh, or even in the top three, what that tells you is that people care about what you're doing. Um, if you don't feature, people don't care about what you're doing, and that sort of tells you you need. You need to think about what you're doing again. So it's it's constant rethinking um, and assessing: Are we doing something that's relevant? Um, do people care about it? And um, do they care enough to want to buy it uh, at the end of the day? 
because I, I I know that of you, you've always done the award thing. And actually, I was going to ask you that question. So it's really good that you brought that up because I never realized it was for relevance. Yeah, it's not about honor and glory at all. It, it, it it's it's about relevance. But I always thought it was about exposure. And, and exposure as well. You get a lot of exposure, um, you know, if if you feature. Um and again, if you can feature in some of the, the more prestigious ones, even better, because you get a platform then to to talk about what you're doing uh, to the market. And generally, you know, what we've been doing is you know, tr- trying to, re- uh, you know, taking the first part of, of our conversation, reading where the puck is going and communicating what you're seeing and what you're doing to others so they can go, yeah, he's right. Um, we need to be thinking about that. Um, and then you start to get this coalescing of minds where you've started to started a conversation that people start to think about. Um, and you start to get this groundswell of activity where um, you, you start to build a mass of, um, of thought leadership that ultimately starts to move a market. Um, our challenge has always been um, never technical, believe it or not. Uh, the technology is the easy part. It's how do you get markets to move? How do you get networks to form? How do you get people to coalesce around an idea um, and, and get them to, um, to actually ignite it and start to do something? Uh, that is really, really hard. Um, and, you know, I've been at this now for nine years and have I cracked it? No. Let's talk about Sidichi then so people know what we're talking about. So two companies, one is Sidichi and the other is Nillian. So, and I really liked this thing of, so we're back to this idea of trust, you know, and your passion about creating products that actually help the market in some way, help people in some way. You said to me when we were on the phone, you said, my desire is to solve a problem. That's what drives me. And I really like that idea. But Explain to people, I remember we first had this conversation about Sidichi when it was about password protection, and now it has moved into the idea of identity, of being able to really understand who you're speaking to. But you've developed a technology that allows you, well, let, let you, you, you talk about it. It's better. You're much more fluent about it than I am. No, as, as the marketing expert, you were doing a great job there. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> but tell people, um, you have this beautiful way of explaining it because data terrifies people of having their data being used, viewed, possibly, you know, all these things. Let's wind it back, right? And, and think about pre-internet. So that the nature of relationships um, pre-internet was all on a human basis. It was person to person. I knew who I was interacting with. I had a personal connection to them. Today, with the advent of, of the internet and you know the ability to buy stuff and, and interact you know, through a digital channel, it means you rarely interact with um, the people on the other side. Um, you know, Zoom and Teams and, and all of the uh, collaborative tools that we have now have improved it to some extent because I can now see you. But when it was just email and forms on, on a, you know, an e-commerce site or whatever, um, I have no idea who I'm interacting with. Um, and that has given rise to a massive amount of scams and fraud and criminal activity. I mean, just to give people, you know, some frame of reference, 
the criminal economy is the third largest economy in the world. Wow. It's worth between five and six trillion dollars on an annual basis. Wow. And we do very little um, in a digital sense to um, to prevent and, and stop what is happening. Um, and uh, when you start to boil it down, a lot of it comes from, um, I see something, uh, just for argument's sake, a, a car I want to buy on a, on a website, it's, maybe it's Facebook or Instagram or somewhere, uh, I click on the link and I go, yeah, that's a super car, I want to buy it. I contact the person uh, who's offering it for sale and he says, oh yeah, there's a ton of interest in it, um, but it's yours if you give me a down payment um, of 10%. So yeah, I want it and the deal is great and it looks wonderful. Um, you know, it's only 10%. I'll send him the money and then I'll arrange to go and look at the car and I'll pay him the rest. But who do I, who am I paying that money to? Do I know him? Um, and in many cases, if I do that, he'll disappear with my deposit. Um, he doesn't need the full payment because he'll do the same thing to a hundred other unsuspecting people. And lo and behold, before you were even aware of the problem, um, he'll have absconded with your money and the money of everybody else that he's managed to perpetrate the same fraud on. So our whole mission here was to try to stop these things happening before they happen um, and do it in a way where you as a consumer don't really have to worry about it. It's all happening in the background and the, or the organizations that have the data that would enable um, the identification of this kind of criminality would be able to collaborate in a way where they could put their collective minds and data together to identify, hey, Rob, that car you're buying um, and you think you're paying George, you know, a thousand euros or whatever it is. Well, the bank account you're about to pay it to is in Romania. Um, and it's not George's account. It's a guy called Nikolai. Um, and Nikolai is an unemployed person um, who's 21 years old. Um, is that who you think you're paying the money to? Um, and if someone told me that, I'd say no, and I wouldn't pay the money. Um, you know, and these um, uh, collaborations um, that need to happen between organizations essentially come about through um, techniques that we've created. So cryptography um, that allows you know multiple organizations to be able to work together on on their respective data um, to ask each other you know again cryptographically um, certain questions about their respective customers um, so you can put all that information together in a way that allows you to trigger an alert of some kind without anybody's privacy being compromised how is their privacy not compromised because when you're describing these multiple organizations, you're like, well, have you the right to do that? That's the question. Yeah. So the first, the first thing is, each organization will ask, will probably have asked you in their terms and conditions, uh, may we have your permission uh, to run uh, analysis on your data to prevent crime? And you've probably clicked yes, mm. unknowingly, maybe in many cases, but you've already, in in most cases, probably granted permission for that to happen. The key thing, though, is um, to enable organizations to work together, maybe, you know, just for argument's sake, Facebook and your bank and maybe your, your telephone, your mobile telephone provider, um, so that they can start to cross-reference pieces of information about you. 
um, in order to try and identify or, or people you're interacting with um, so they can try and identify potential risks that you are, are exposing yourself to un, unwillingly or unwittingly. Um, now, you don't want to be passing bank information to your telephone company or telephone information to, to Facebook. Um, you want to keep all that information private. So what if you could run this analysis in a super private way, generate the alerts that you need without anybody learning anything about the data that all the other organizations within that chain um, uh, have? And that's what we've essentially created with the cryptography that we've, we've developed. A method for organizations to build these data collaborations without anybody sharing or exposing the data that they hold. So my bank can talk to my telephone provider, my telephone provider can talk to Facebook uh, and vice versa um, without anybody sharing any details about me, but I'm still able to get a, a result or a score um, that tells me I'm exposing myself to some kind of dodgy activity. Um, and, and in so doing, you know, I've preserved your privacy, I've preserved confidentiality, but I've also created um, an alert and a very fast alert that tells me I'm about to fall victim of a fraud or a scam. It's kind of like sharing elements of the data without seeing the data or connect, but still connecting something. So it's. I, I, you know, colloquially describe it as ma magic mathematics, right? <laughs> um, where I'm able to compute something without actually being able to see all of the parts that I'm using as inputs to my 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 computation. Um, Say that again, because that's really good. So <laughs> you're like, I what did I say? <laughs> Uh, it's a way to compute something where I'm able uh, to take inputs to that computation from a variety of places without those parties uh, seeing what anybody else is providing. How reassuring. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, but the, the problem is not the technology. The technology is proven. It works. The technology, um, you know, we've demonstrated all over the place, but it is exactly the reaction that you just had. How do you do that? Yeah. That, that sounds like it, it's impossible. Mm. Um, how can you compute something without knowing what you're computing? Um, and that's the magic of the cryptograph cryptography. Um, it enables these things to happen um, without you having to see um, where the data is necessarily coming from. Um, the lawyers struggle to get their heads around this. So within the organizations, they they really have a problem um, trying to wrap their head around the sort of, am I really not exposing my data to anybody else? And we go, yes, you're not exposing it. Um, but how can that be? You know, um, one plus one equals two. Uh, mm. I need to know that it's one and one making two. Um, yeah. And, you know, we need mathematicians, very smart mathematicians to try and satisfy them the lawyers that uh, it can be done. But it seems like there is enormous amounts of application for this. Like one of the one of the things that we spoke about a couple of days ago was I, I shared with you that I got hacked on two accounts on Instagram and and a lot of people have been hacked, especially in the last couple of years. And uh, the 
process by which you have to to try and get your accounts back, you know, that you might have nurtured and built an audience around and all of that kind of stuff. The process to try and get your own account back is seems to be far more onerous than the ability to hack your account in the first place. Like I took so many photographs with a number on it and a date, like it was like hop on one leg and all of that. And I did it a couple of times and I just went, oh, I'll just start again because it just wasn't worth it to me. Yeah. Whereas if they use something like this, it would be so much easier. I agree completely. But this comes down to the business models of the organizations with whom you're interacting, right? So in in that case, um, you know, the social media site uh, is all about engagement, right? So they want to make it really easy for people to engage with you, uh, which means they have, you know, minimal controls on the front door. Mm. Um, and the control in this case is username and password, you know, for me to run a password check, uh, you know, a hack, I mean, I could run on a on a you know reasonably powerful laptop a trillion password combinations in about three seconds. Um, wow! That's how that's how I mean. I just blast them all out. Now there are uh, in in many of the the bigger websites controls that uh, don't allow you to do that, but maybe not in the smaller ones. Um, so. Finding somebody's password is kind of trivial um, if you're really determined. The vast majority of people, um, you know, their social media isn't worth hacking. Um, and, and that's part of the logic that goes into it, which is, you know, the high value uh, websites will protect themselves. Um, the, the low value ones don't care. Uh, and we don't care about them either, as long as we have them as customers and, you know, we get them giving us their information, photographs, all of the things that uh, that we make our money from, um, our business model stacks up. Um, but what we really do need to get to is a place where I know it's you um, really easily. Um, yeah. And that's a combination of things. It could be, you know, uh, a picture of your face combined with a, um, a fingerprint of your device. Uh, maybe combined with a piece of information that is only known to you, a secret of some kind. Um, and if all of those things were put together um, and were coming from, you know, an IP address, maybe that I recognize as something that you would regularly interact from, then I'll go, that's definitely Finola. It looks like Finola. It's her device. It's her IP address. It's the time of day that she logs in from uh, or at. And I go, yeah, it's her. Um, I'm going to let her in. But, you know, Joe Blog's hacker from Romania or Russia or whoever stole your account, um, they would have presented anomalous activity um, initially to, to, the, to the site. And they should have been able to identify that and block it straight away um, because it wasn't you. Um, and ultimately, you know, you are a combination of things. Um, it, it's not one single thing that identifies you. It's a whole variety of things in a context. So if I'm able to apply those things to that context, it, it's very easy to identify you. So we have to wait until it becomes important enough to them. Yeah, and that that's a combination of things. That is, uh, you know, people saying, I'm not happy with um, the way you treat my information. Uh, I'm not happy with how you identify me. I'm I'm not happy with you know 
the fact that you're sharing so much information about me with with advertisers and others. Um, you know, if the product is free, you are the product. Um, you know, and the vast majority of people go, "What? How? How do you mean?" Um, it's all the information that you provide is what gets monetized. Again, another useful or useless stat that people may not know is that the European Commission did a study on the value of an individual's data. Yeah. And the average annual value um, for a single person is about 2,000 euros. Um, that, that's how much value is generated in the digital economy from the information you provide for free uh, to all of the sites you interact with. Um, and if everybody knew that, they'd go, holy cow, that's a lot of money. Uh, why, am I, why am I giving that away? You know, so again, the next iteration of the web will start to put controls around how this information um, is going to be dispersed and hopefully allow you as the owner of it to generate some value potentially from it. That is not just, you know, the consumption of a service uh, for free, but it might actually be real money. I like that way you've said that, that we're actually the product. Well, it's not that that's not me who came up with that phrase. Um, that was a guy in, in um, Silicon Valley, Jonathan uh, Atrain, I think his name was. Um, but it basically is the business model for so many of the large sites. If you think about Google, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the free model uh, where you get a free service ultimately gives you the incentive to provide all of this information for free. They take that information and then they build um, advertising um, uh, sales models from it and generate an enormous amount of value for themselves. You get none of it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to start thinking about. I am your product. I'm not only your customer, especially if you you know, uh, invest in ads, if you're a small business or any type of business, actually, you're you're not only a pro, you're not only their customer, but you're also their product. I, that's really interesting. Um, so powerful. So in how the world is going to go and how the web is going to go, this will become increasingly realized, more realized. Absolutely. So so the next iteration of the web, we're we're at what we call Web two two at the moment. We're moving to Web three, and Web three essentially is all about community. It's about collaboration. It's about enabling organizations um, and individuals to to work together for a common purpose with common um, objectives and goals that they 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 want to um, achieve. Um, and it's creating the protocols that allow those collaborations and, and that community activity to come together in a way where privacy is respected, um, uh, your data is 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 respected, um, and ultimately building in much greater efficiency, which ultimately drives down cost um, when it comes to you know a whole variety of of different things. Um, and I think about you know the number of places where you open an account, for example. Um, every bank that you go to, you do the same thing over and over again. You provide a, you know, a photo ID, you provide you know, proof of address, you might provide other pieces of information, but you'll do that 10 times if you open 10 bank accounts. Why do I have to do it 10 times? 
why can't I not just do it once and, and then share that information if necessary with those organizations? Um, it's far more efficient for me and much cheaper for the 10 organizations who have to consume that information. Yet the protocols don't exist, or they do exist now, but that they haven't existed, um, that would enable that to happen. And you get data autonomy over your information. You can say, I'm going to permission um, bank one or bank three or bank seven um, to access these pieces of my information um, for the purposes of X, for the time period Y, um, and if I cease to have a relationship with them, they no longer have access to that data. Um, so you've got much more granular control, if you want it, over your information and how that information gets consumed. It's another good phrase, data autonomy. I mean, it's it's a very, it's putting the power back into our hands over our own data, our own identity. Yeah. Whereas I think we were, we've been so conditioned over the years and how all of the institutions were put into place to, to give, to give because, you know, it's the bank and you trust the bank or it's whatever. But now, so that's a move back into our hands. So very interesting. So if we come back to your journey, you, we interviewed, I interviewed um, Ben Cronin recently, a couple of weeks ago. And um, when you came back from Japan, you started out with uh, Ben doing GBR Direct. And and that was about trust and identity, anti-money laundering. And then, and we know this story of how it got rebranded. It ended up getting listed on the uh, Sydney Stock Exchange and uh, then it was sold. What was interesting to me, because I'm seeing this as a pattern also, is that you started to build Sidichi before you had left Kicker. And that seems to happen a lot with entrepreneurs. What's that like? Like, is it? Well, the problem, I suppose the, the trust problem is enormous, right? Um, and what Kicker was doing was identifying companies and the people associated with those companies. Um, our customers were banks and other financial institutions. Um, and in you know the course of everyday conversations that you would have with your customers, they would constantly say to us, you know, can you do something that helps us identify people, not just companies, but people? Um, and they talk about the problems they'd have. And then you go, yeah, would it be really a stretch to, to extend what we're doing now to add on this other little thing? Um, well, you know, describe it as a little thing, yeah, but it wasn't really. a little thing. <laughs> um, and you start to do a little bit of sort of exploratory work, a bit of experimentation, and suddenly it starts to get some legs. Um, and then you realize I'm too far in now to stop. I have to keep going. Um, yeah, and then the two things are running sort of side by side. Um, and it, it, it starts to expand just naturally. Um, and I think, you know, most entrepreneurs have a, have a I suppose, a desire to constantly do and try new things um i'm getting to the age now where i'm definitely not going to do it again uh you know and somebody comes to me and says you know would you look at this and i go no <laughs> <laughs> um, but how does that like does that annoy anyone in the previous company that you're you're exploring this other thing you know that's very or is it just so organic 
Yeah, I, I'm sure it did. <laughs> um, you know, but at the same time, um, it's important to be transparent. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, there was nothing um, untoward or hidden. It was completely out in the open. And, you know, Ben and I, uh, I mean, I'd said to Ben at some point, you know, do, do we want to bring this into into the company? And he said, no, I don't think we should. It, 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 it's too big. And I said, well, that's okay. Um, I'm going to do it on my own then um, because I just feel it's an opportunity that we have to give it a shot. Uh, and he said, fair enough, you know. Yeah. Transparency. Simple. You know, it doesn't always have to be this big thing with lawyers and agreed the parameters. It was just transparency. Yeah, just be open and talk about it. And, you know, this is this is one of the things, I, again, you, you brought up the theme of trust, uh, you know, a few minutes ago. And, and trust is so important in any business relationship. Um, and it, it is enhanced when you've got difficult circumstances, potentially, that you've got to deal with, but you deal with them through open and frank dialogue. Mm. Um, it's where people hide stuff. That's where trust breaks down and, um, you know, do what you say. Um, you know, if you do that, people will go, yeah, you know, he's straight up, he or she is straight up. Um, you know, the, the, the relationship will be enhanced as a consequence of that. Yeah. And I can, and, you know, business is risk, so I can take a risk with this person. Yeah. Because I trust them. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. You then went... So Satichi is still alive and kicking, but something has happened. A new business has emerged called Nillian, which is using some of the technology from Satichi in Nillian. And what's really interesting is your CTO is was the first engineer with Uber and is now your CTO for Nillian, which is a bit of a coup. How did you wangle that one? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, as I said earlier, Sidichi was always really good at, at technology, right? We, we were very good at seeing where the trend was and developing stuff fairly early just to identify where the, the next opportunity was going to be. So we've been really good at that. Um, but what we sucked at was, um, you know, marketing, business development, selling. Um, so... You know, along the way, I sort of said to myself, you know, you know, again, know what your strengths are, know what your weaknesses are. Mm. Uh, I absolutely know what my weaknesses are and, and the organization's weaknesses are. Um, so we need to find um, some partners who are really strong on the marketing and selling side. And that's what we found with the sort of founding team in Nillion. Um, guys very good at, at building marketing stories, um, you know, selling propositions. So we, we kind of said, okay, here's some, you know, earth shattering tech um, that really can make a difference. I want you to take this tech and build a proposition around it. And that's where Nillion came from. Mm. You know, Nillion, the word itself has a meaning. Mm. It means a whole lot of nothing. And what we've done with the technology we've created is the ability to take a piece of information and, and break it up into pieces and store all those pieces across a network um, so that no single party has the entirety of, of, of the data. It's like a broken part jigsaw puzzle. 
Um, you can't see the picture with just one piece. Yet, I'm able to process that data while it stays fragmented, um, as mm. if it was all together. I don't have to bring it back together. Um, and they said, wow, if you could do this for any kind of sensitive data, you know, not just identity data or passwords, but think about things like credit cards or contracts or drug formulas or source code for software um, so that you can fragment it, store it and process it while it remains in pieces. Um, that would be transformational. Um, so they started to, to put the team together um, and uh, Conrad Whelan was the uh, one of the first people we talked to about uh, potentially um, joining. He read the white paper that we'd written and he said, wow, this is, this is a zero to one transformation in terms of uh, a step change in how we process data today. Um, and he came out of retirement. Um, he didn't, he doesn't need to work ever again. Um, but he just said, this looks like a really cool, interesting project that I'd love to be part of. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so, you know, Nillian has now got 50 something people um, employed all around the world, a mix of very skilled and capable technical um, people and also, you know, marketing business development people as well. Um, and, you know, when you get all of those components together, uh, I think I've told you this story before, you know, business is like baking a cake. Um, you know, you got to have the right ingredients uh, in the right amounts uh, in in the oven for the uh, right amount of time at the right temperature. And if you do all those things, you're going to get a great cake. Do any one of them wrong and you're going to get a rubbish cake. Um, so, again, trying to get all of those piece parts to come together in the right amount for the right amount of time so that you're able to create this thing that has real impetus and force um, to make to make change happen um, was sort of my thinking um, behind it. Now, don't get me wrong; this is not Nirvana. Mm. Uh, there, there's a lot of very tense and difficult conversations that we have inside Nillion, trying to figure out, you know, what's right, what's not right. Mm. Um, in terms of you know those business choices that you have to make um, and the trade-offs that come with that, um, but it is most definitely going in the right direction. Um, and I think you know we're uh, potentially on the cusp of something really, really exciting. Fantastic! Tell me a low point and a high point in all these journeys, because you've had, because you are effectively a serial entrepreneur. So it's really interesting to learn. What have you taken out of each? Have you taken something from each venture into the next one? Have you seen anything recurring? What? Yeah. High point, low point, big learnings. So, and you know, building a business is not linear. It is absolutely wild in terms of highs and lows. Um, and anybody who's done it knows that. Um, I think you've got to get your head into the right place to know that there are going to be lows um, and when they come to be able to deal with them, um, they, they will happen. You've got to be resourceful. Um, you've got to be willing to make um, trade-offs. You've got to be pragmatic. Um, my lows, there's been a few. Um, 
the, and I think back to when I was with one of my Japanese companies, we set up a business in Ireland. Um, we built a 40,000 square foot factory. Um, we'd hired 30 something people. We trained them all in Japan, brought them all back to, to, to Ireland. And we were literally one week from switching the factory on. And the parent in Japan said, we're not doing this uh, because the, the, they had a property bubble in, in Japan that burst. Um, and the, the company was seriously exposed to, to property valuation because um, they had uh, borrowings against uh, you know, property assets. Um, so we laid everybody off. And I remember uh, the day we told everybody, um, tomorrow uh, the factory's going to be closed. Today is your last day. Um, wow. Having created over the previous two two years, the energy, the enthusiasm, the, the yeah. whole aura of, of excitement about creating this new entity. And I went home that day and, uh, you know, I remember standing in the shower um, trying to wash away that feeling of I just did the worst thing ever and fired 30 people. Um, mm. It was horrible. Um, but then, you know, the... I got a phone call that evening at about 9.30. It was, Rob, we're all in the pub. Uh, do you want to join us? <laughs> and I said, I can't. I just fired all of you. <laughs> and they said, nah, come down. We know it wasn't your fault. Um, yeah. no, nobody's blaming you. Um, so anyway, I went down. and But you know, that's my, testament my, to you now, Rob. I'm not remotely surprised by that. Well, my my belief in, in human... Um, what do you call it, you know, behavior um, mm. was was enhanced by that. Um, and again, it comes down to be open and honest with people as best you can, and it will be returned, um, you know, when it, when it needs to. Um, and then, you know, along the way, you know, with GBR, we had a period as well where we had to uh, put people on short time because we were running out of money. Mm. Um, and again, people were uh, supportive of that. Uh, they said, "Yeah, you've kept us, a, you know, abreast of what was going on. You've told mm. us there were challenges. Uh, we'll work with you on it because we see the potential. And you know, at the end of the day, the the people that stayed with us all the way through. I mean, I'm not going to mention any names, but um, uh, one guy almost cleared his mortgage. Uh, you know, so it comes back around if you invest in it. Yeah, we spoke about. I spoke to Ben about that." employee share option scheme, which was, again, testament to your guys' approach to how you treated people that worked with you. Like, it does pay back, you know? Yeah, it does. I mean, people are people at the end of the day. And the one thing that worries me more than anything is the negative impact on a business decision on people's lives. And, you know, any entrepreneur who's building a business knows cash is 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 critical to, to the success of a business. It takes a while for it to get to profitability in the vast majority of cases. Um, so you've got to rely on investors, uh, you know, to provide funding for you. Um, and then your staff to, to work with you as you go through those cycles where you got loads of money and then you've no money and loads mm. of money and no money because it doesn't come in on a nice steady conveyor belt. Um, you know, you, you go through these cycles and um, that can be hard to manage. Mm. How do you keep your mind set, positive, or good, or productive? Well, generally, I'd, I'd, I would think I'd have a very 
positive outlook on on mm. life um i would always be erring on the optimistic side rather than the pessimistic side um you know i i look at problems to say there's a solution to every problem uh, yeah. it, it might not always be the perfect solution but there is a solution um and you know you've you've got to be able to figure those things out um you know macgyver was a great guy right <laughs> macgyver had the solution to everything and you know when when i have those dark days you know i, I <laughs> this is kind of funny um i i think about what would macgyver do <laughs> <laughs> with this paperclip <laughs> exactly what would macgyver do and uh mm. you know it lightens the mood a little bit, but it also gives you um, the capability to kind of think out of the box um, mm. and, and sort of lateral thinking in, in terms of look at this differently. Um, how, how am I going to address whatever the problem is? And generally you come up with something. I mean, we've had in Sadichi five or six near-death moments, mm. um, you know, and we're not finished yet. And mm. uh, there's, there's more coming without a doubt. Mm. Um, um, but, you know, that's the trick, you know, really committed, smart people will figure out answers to these problems. Mm. And have fun along the way. What would you like people to walk away with? In terms of employees or? No, just, uh, well, entrepreneurs, because this is for entrepreneurs. Like what's. What would you like their takeaway from this conversation to be? Oh, I think, um, you know, your entrepreneurial journey is just that. It is a journey. Mm. Um, your motivation, I think, is very important. What drives you? Uh, in my case, it's not about making money. Uh, money is the, is the measure at how successful ultimately you've been uh, or is one of the measures. Um, but for me, I mean, I look at things like, have I made a difference? Mm. Um, have I succeeded in um, trying to get the problem I was trying to solve addressed mm. in some way? Um, and, you know, if the answer to that is yes, then yeah, you know, I, I feel I've done some good, you know. You can't solve everything and, you know, you, you're not going to be um, friends with everybody. Uh, you know, you're going to upset some people along the way for sure. Um, but that's that's life, you know. Mm. Um, you know, get over it, move on. Um, tomorrow's another day. A good way to end. Thank you so much, Rob. No, my pleasure. <laughs> Great chatting for now. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Rob, look him up on LinkedIn under Rob Leslie or check out sedici.com. That's S-E-D-I-C-I-I.com. And if you'd be so kind to share this episode with someone you know who would find it valuable, I would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to reach out to me about the podcast or anything marketing or entrepreneurship related, check out finolahoward.com. And I'll be back next week with another great guest. <laughs>